0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy.
1: I'm Kathy Too,
2: And I'm Tobin Lowe. This is a recent memory. This was for his birthday, actually, um, in 2015.
0: This is Lolly Santiago León. She lives in Orlando, Florida, and the birthday boy she's talking about is her cousin, Donnie Wilson-Leon.
2: He had a big party. He wanted to have an amazing party, and um, he wanted everybody to dress in hot pink. So all of us had the same shirts on, and the two of us started dancing, like pretending to waltz. And I almost fell over. It was just the comedic timing of almost falling, falling over, and then being caught and then lifted like I'm some ballerina. Totally awkward, but that's just how we. That's how we acted, and um, and that never changed. Um, And he's just such a sweetheart. So so awesome. He was like a brother to me, because when he moved from Puerto Rico, he lived with my parents, and so we've always been very close. He met Gene at the store that Gene worked at, um, Perfumania, and um, they were smitten for each other. In Puerto Rico, he didn't really have the social outlets that he was afforded here to be who he was, given more of a machismo culture in Puerto Rico, he wanted to see, you know, what was life like here. So I took him to Pulse when he first moved in 2004, and um, he loved it. He was just like, this is it.
0: If you ask queer people in Orlando, especially queer Latinx people, they all talk about Pulse in a similar way. It was the place to be first time I went to Pulse was in 2014. Pulse was the very first club I ever went to. It's 18 and up, so that was my very first um, nightclub, and it's also the first club I took my sister to when I first came out.
3: So Pulse online, and I went, and it was so like welcoming.
0: The hanging beads at the front entrance, the long line coming
4: out the door to get into pay your cover and go in. And they had these tables that came out of the floor, and they had all those glass beads in them, and the LEDs, and everything in the whole room changed color. And then there was this dance floor that looked Moulin Rouge.
0: And The music was awesome, because there was a DJ on the patio, the main DJ in the Latin room, and the Adonis room,
3: which was hip-hop. We would go mostly on Saturdays, because it was Latin night, and it was
0: It was always packed. Like over 10 years of knowing the same bartender who would always give me a discount on my drinks or something. (laughs) It was like a different form of family. It was definitely a chosen family. Pulse nightclub is about 15 miles north of Disney World in downtown Orlando. There's so many handwritten messages. And Love ease. from Texas. Love is love.
1: And flags. It's an overcast January afternoon when we visit. From the outside, it looks like a quiet, abandoned building. It's guarded by a chain link fence covered by a makeshift memorial of posters, stuffed animals, and flowers. They spill into the parking lot.
0: This one looks like a map. Oh, it's a map of Orlando. It's a map of all of Orlando
1: You know, we talk a lot on the show about these moments where people are figuring themselves out, finding a new definition for who they are. And on that night, June 12th, 2016, the entire city of Orlando found itself faced with that exact kind of moment.
0: When did you find out what had happened?
5: I got the phone call, I guess it was about 3.30 in the morning.
4: My phone was off. And people have been calling me all the evening on my phone, and and I have a house phone, too. Somebody finally thought to call me at the house phone. It was about 8 o'clock that morning.
5: I'm Terry DiCarlo. I'm the executive director of the Gay and Lesbian Community Center of Central Florida.
4: My name is Patty Sheehan. I'm a city commissioner in Orlando, Florida. I was the first openly gay elected official in Central Florida.
5: My husband and I were asleep, and he happened to get up to go to the kitchen, and he walked in with my cell phone. And he said, your phone is blowing up, he said, and and mine keeps going off, something's happening.
4: And it was the chief of staff, Frank Billingsley, who was also gay. And uh, he says, Commissioner, um, are you sitting down? And I said, what happened?
5: And I looked at Bill, my husband, and I said, there's a shooting down a Pulse. It sounds kind of frantic. Let's get dressed and go down and see what's going on.
1: Good morning. I'm Darrow Brown. There's breaking news at this hour from Orlando, where
2: there are reports of a shooting at a nightclub night in that
5: city. Witnesses that we have spoken to at the scene say that they were inside the club around 2 a.m. this morning, the music pumping. That's when a man entered the the, uh, the club and then opened fire with an the gunman automatic... The has been identified her
6: as her Omar
4: Siddiqui
5: Mateen. He's 20 It just
1: keeps just getting bigger. We're here at the uh, intersection of Orange and Miller. We are just blocks outside of downtown uh, near this nightclub where the shooting supposedly happened. About 30 to 40
5: we pulled up to where the police cars were and the policeman who happened to be standing there, I knew. And he knew who I was. So he said, I'm letting you through. He said, pull down and to the left, uh, you'll see a parking lot. We went down, we pulled in, we got out of the car, we started hightailing it down towards the building, towards Pulse. When another officer, a friend of ours, uh, came running at us. And at that point I looked at him and I said, Jim, what the hell is going on? And he looked at me and he said, uh, he said at this point, um, sorry. Um, he said, right now we have about 20 dead on the floor. And I lost it. I went down.
2: These lists would come out with names, and um, their names didn't appear, neither Jean nor Donnie. In my heart, I had a feeling, because if he was still alive at that time, he would have called or something, and nothing, nothing came through. Um, so we had to wait until, um, later that evening. That's when it had been confirmed that the both of them had died there. I know the question was initially, you know, when did I find, I just, I knew, I just felt it, but, um, it took me a long time and it still does to try to accept the fact that he's not here. It's, still feels like um the same day
4: from there it was like it it was just we're having a press conference at first it was 21 and then there was the press conference where it was announced it was 50 and then they took the they took the shooter out of course cuz he was not considered a victim and then the number went down to 49 and this just being at in that crowd and having hearing the gasp and it wasn't You know, usually media people are just taking notes and they're not reacting. Everybody who was there reacted.
1: We're in Patty Sheehan's office at City Hall. Card in the
4: boxes and stuff. These are actually um, uh, memory boxes from all the families, um, from all the victims.
1: There's stacks of paper everywhere. The walls are covered in artwork
4: and banners. A rainbow flag from the mayor of uh, San Francisco. Um,
1: Cards from all over the world. Patty has spent the last several months trying to locate families so she can send them the memory boxes made for each victim.
4: And I managed to track down, I mean, out of the 49, I've only got 17 left.
1: She says all of this, the locating of families, the organizing of resources and gifts, it completely changed her job description. I mean, I'm usually dealing with someone who's upset about a tree limb. You know,
4: infill development and filling the potholes and restoring the brick streets and historic preservation. And those kinds of things. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, though, now I'm working on some very sad things, finding 49 plots in our cemetery. You know, I don't deal with mass shootings every day. I kind of wonder where we're going to put all this stuff. But For now, it's become my office, so. (laughs) And I'm fine with that because I'm I'm not quite ready to let it go anyway.
5: What was the most unusual thing you got as a donation? This
0: is our producer, Matt.
5: You really want to know? Yeah.
0: And this is Terry DiCarlo, who runs the Gay and Lesbian Community Center of Orlando.
5: It was the actual state flag from the state of North Carolina that was sent to us by the governor. And when it came in, it came in with a certificate signed by him. And the press was here when it came in. And I said uh, that I'm going to be hanging that flag in a gender-neutral bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have the flag in my office with the certificate. Come on.
0: The center sits in a storefront on a busy street. You might miss it if it weren't for a colorful mural painted on its side. As Terry shows us around, he keeps apologizing for the state of things. They were already in the middle of a construction project before all this started, and things just keep coming in from all over the country.
5: You know, what's weird, it happened so quick, and everything was in seconds, you know, between... um When we first got the call, by the time we got down there, we were met by the police. Everything was happening so fast. You really didn't have time to process. You just had time to act.
0: His memory of that day is fuzzy, but he's forcing himself to write down every detail he can recall. He plans to write what he's calling a playbook.
5: If we can put down on paper and put a book together of what we did, what they can expect, what they can be ready for, they're going to have to tailor it to their city— But if we can put what happened here down on paper and what we did, we might help another city. So we're working on that now.
1: The book has directions for everything he can think of. Booking flights for family members of victims, connecting over Twitter, organizing donations. It's all in there.
5: Okay, we need um, an 18-wheeler, a refrigerated 18-wheeler, because we ended up with 35,000 cases of water. And you see the space. We had no room. It's something you can't prepare for. You you know, we're hoping this playbook will help people prepare. But we weren't ready. We were not ready.
1: Pulse also changed how Terry runs the center.
5: I do not hire anybody right now who is not bilingual. Because as the families after Pulse came in, and so many of them did not speak English, I realized I didn't have a Spanish-speaking person at my front desk. So we needed to rethink my whole center operations. You know, we're now the owners of the angels, too. The angel wings. They're ours. They're out out back right now.
0: He's talking about these giant angel wings made out of white cloth and PVC pipes. There's an entire history of people using them to literally block anti gay protesters from view. The first time was in 1998 when Matthew Shepard was murdered in Laramie, Wyoming. A hate group called the Westboro Baptist Church decided to show up at the murder trial with signs that said stuff like, God hates fags. People wearing the angel wings blocked the Westboro protesters from view.
5: Westboro decided to come here um, and protest our funerals. The day of the protest, we kept them hidden in a parking garage. We showed up that day and sure enough, Westboro came and our people sat there and they held their signs up and Westboro started yelling. And um, one guy started singing Amazing Grace, and the next thing you know, there's 4,000 people singing Amazing Grace.
3: Grace, grace.
5: We took the angels out of the parking lot, and they walked down the middle of the street and created a barricade. And they were led by the priest who walked the family and the Christians through the crowd to get to the church. So our angels were there to protect them. And as soon as they packed their signs up and they started walking, every all of us went like this and said, you know, go for it. And the cheer and everybody just erupted. It was it was an amazing sound just to hear everybody erupt.
1: Coming up after the break, how the events at Pulse affected even the unlikeliest
6: of people.
0: We'll talk with the pastor of one of Florida's largest evangelical churches.
6: So Jesus affirms that definition of marriage. That will be our definition of marriage.
0: A man who previously had an uneasy relationship with the LGBTQ community. But after Pulse, found himself at a crossroads.
1: This is Nancy.
0: When we were talking to people in Orlando, there was something that across the board everyone would say. What happened at Pulse changed the entire city even people you wouldn't expect.
1: Which is why we took a drive about 25 minutes north of Pulse to Northland Church. It's this huge evangelical church with a congregation of about 20,000 people. I mean, I feel yeah, like it's better it than some concert halls I've been to. <laughs> to. We're
0: getting a tour of the sanctuary from Bradley Nolf. He does PR for the church. Audio position. This is our broadcast studio, so this is mixing the audio just for people online.
1: Northland's congregation is split between people who attend services in person and people who tune in to watch services online.
6: Have you not read the scriptures? A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So Jesus affirms that definition of marriage. That will be our definition of marriage.
1: This is head pastor Dr. Joel Hunter during one of his broadcasts from 2015. He's responding to the Supreme Court's gay marriage decision.
6: We have no animosity toward anybody else. You know, we can. you don't have to be mean just because you're right.
1: Joel was one of President Obama's spiritual advisors at the time. He was ambivalent about Obama's support of gay marriage. And around Orlando, he and his church had a reputation of being pretty and friendly to the LGBTQ community.
0: But when something like Pulse happens, when it's undeniable that the LGBTQ community has been targeted... How does it change someone whose faith has previously gotten in the way of acceptance?
6: The week uh, after this happened, I got up in front of the congregation. I said, I'm so um, undone by this. Not because I had so many relationships in, the, in that community, but because I had so few.
0: Did you have a moment where you realized you actually didn't?
6: Know yes. It, 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 when the names started coming out, you know, I was looking for folks that, that I would know. Um, and, uh, and there was no one on the list. And, and usually we're a large enough church that um, when any tragedy happens, you know, we're one of the first place people come to. Nobody came immediately
0: this sort of admitting of not knowing. So Kathy and I are are new hosts and in that sense kind of new leaders. Uh And one of the things like I'm definitely learning is like admitting – part of leadership is admitting when I don't know something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and I'm wondering for you, you're saying um, with the LGBT community, there was sort of an admitting of not knowing. And I'm wondering if that's how you would characterize sort of how you thought about the LGBT community before PULSE.
6: Yes, of course. I've had, you know, I've had uh, friends and acquaintances um, that have been gay, um, but first of all, I'm from a generation. You know, if your if your listeners could see me, you'd see just an old guy. You know, who grew up in a small town, and so it part of it's generational. But the first thing to admit, and I just was telling my congregation. Smart people are the people who realize how much they don't know. I got over that barrier a long time ago, um, but it was the personal, emotional barrier that couldn't, you know, (laughs) sorry, pastors are people who really care about other people. And if there's pain, the first thing we want to do is reach out and Somehow give comfort, somehow. And the fact that I couldn't do it, not only to the families that had been through that, but I realized that there were a whole lot of people who were in pain, that there was this chasm there. That's what hurt me personally. It wasn't just admitting ignorance. You know, I can do that all day long, and, and, and I do but it is facing the fact that you didn't care enough to establish um, conversations out of what is normal and out of what is predictable in order to care for people who were especially vulnerable. That just wiped me out. And And so that's really what hurt. I will not presume to know what this community is going through, the LGBTQ community. And so I asked Equality Florida Florida to send someone.
1: This is Joel leading a service a couple weeks after Pulse.
6: And my new friend, Victoria Kirby-York, who is the National Director of Campaigns for the National LGBTQ um, Task Force. I'm going to keep saying those initials so often enough that they roll off my tongue. I ask her to come and just share maybe with many of us who would not know what to pray for in that community right now.
1: I think I have a hard time reconciling um, what you're saying right now about uh, loving people without judgment um, and also the other side of it, which is knowing that conservatism and the church historically has not been on the side of LGBTQ people. Right. And I don't know how to, like, be okay with the existence of both.
6: Yeah. That's the challenge. And that's what makes it worth the conversation. Um, ultimately, we got to come to the place where we're interpreting Scripture the best we can, but it's God's judgment, you know? It's not even our job, you know? It's our job to interpret scripture the best we can, and the way we interpret scripture in a conservative evangelical is that all sex outside marriage misses the mark. So it's just it's just kind of where you are uh, on the spectrum of, of what you need as a spiritual family.
0: Where would you say you are on that spectrum of understanding?
6: My my personal, uh, I have, just as a student of scripture, um, um, my sense is that sex outside a marriage between a man and a woman is missing the mark. It's not God's ideal.
0: Could you see a further evolution for yourself for that conversation?
6: It's not impossible to 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 think that could happen, um, but. Ultimately for us, our identity is in Jesus.
1: If you drive 10 minutes south of Pulse, you'll get to the building that houses the Orlando chapter of the Hispanic Federation. I'm Matt
0: Clett. I talked to Ricardo
5: about coming to tonight's Arts Night. I'm at the door.
1: It's a national nonprofit that provides services and funding specifically to the Hispanic community. Awesome. Thank you. Since Pulse, a whole bunch of new resources for the Latinx community have popped up, many hosted by the Hispanic Federation. They use this large meeting space to host community groups and meetings. Like on the night we visited, there's an art therapy group.
0: My name is Ricardo Negron. Ricardo moved to Orlando about two years ago, started working for the Hispanic Federation. I started working with them as a canvasser. Registering voters, that kind of thing. But after Pulse, he decided to change roles. He started working on a project to help Latinx people find bilingual mental health services. And
3: so I transitioned into this program because I
0: was at Pulse that night. Ricardo went to Pulse a lot. The night of the shooting, he happened to be near the exit and was able to escape. There are other clubs that have
3: a Latin night. I personally don't frequent them often.
1: Is there a specific reason you don't go?
3: Um, the one club that does have Latin night, I personally, uh having surviving pools, don't feel, like, super safe in it. It's too big, too many entrances, exits, and whatnot, and I feel it's not... It doesn't have the adequate security for me.
0: So that's a thing you think about now?
3: It is. I go out, right? Because I go out. I go to other clubs and whatnot. But if I'm going to, like, a big club, I go to the ones that have visible police presence... Or security. That's just my opinion right now.
7: A lot of people who were affected were undocumented.
0: This is Stephanie Pinheiro. She works with Ricardo, helping people find the right kind of counseling for their recovery.
7: So they were already, you know, out in their own little bubble and able to feel safe in that own little bubble. And then it's like they were shoved back into the closet and not just shoved back into the closet because of their sexuality or how they identify, but also because they're undocumented. So like 95% of my clients, they speak Spanish. Like that's it. Um, And that level, like knowing the culture and knowing like you can be very friendly and you can be like familia, even if you've never known each other. I think Pulse changed this community. For better or worse, you know, there's finally people trying to understand the struggle or the experience of someone who's a person of color, especially Latinos. You know, they're coming to Orlando, they're coming to Central Florida, they're coming to the United, you know, to, to the mainland, and yet the services that are available aren't tailored to what their needs are. They're not tailored to what you know the specific intersection that they live at. So, um, if there's Good things that have come from that from from this it's that there's finally that that approach okay like let's really be a collective let's really try to understand this culture that's already been here has been well established but the social service community hasn't learned to provide that service to them
0: would you guys be cool if i just quickly got you describing what you're working on
1: you,
3: you, know, you start You start, oh, you start first. <laughs> You're like my really, idol. What are you doing, Viviana?
1: Also, at Art Night, we meet Viviana Troche. I am doing a poster board of different
8: symbols of uh, the native people in Puerto Rico. And I just wanted to uh, bring like a lot of the
1: colorful stuff that has to do with um, back home. Little happiness that's left, you know? Viviana hangs out at the Hispanic Federation a lot.
8: I was just working to pay bills. I, wasn't, I didn't have nothing going for myself at that moment because uh, I was going through a really tough depression. Uh, me and my ex broke up. I my dad got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. My mom got a triple heart bypass, and everything was just falling apart all at the same time me and my brother had a really bad falling where he, ironically enough, wished me dead because I was gay in a really awful fight that we had. Um, so I was basically just kind of like a tumbleweed in the wind just trying to find something to convince me to not do nothing stupid. Like, I was just trying to find somewhere to belong. And... uh and I found it here. They're my family, you know. Like it's who I feel the happiest around. It's who I feel me around, and and they got me to paint again. So now, I, I've I've been able to enjoy the fun aspect of it now. Like it doesn't feel weird to laugh again, or to want to hang out and dance again. You know, I found a purpose with my life again. So it's exciting. I can't wait.
2: Of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Technic Roberts is live in Orlando where people there tonight are reacting to another.
6: It
2: marks four months since the terror attack at Pulse nightclub and the tragedy There's is the the we're talking about this control. afternoon. It has been exactly six months since one of the worst uh, hate crimes oh. unfolded here in our nation and it happened right here in the
7: sunshine. Officials in Orlando want the one year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre Ooh. to be marked with acts of love and kindness. Elected officials say
0: that no, no
2: time has passed. When the six-month mark came and the seven-month mark, it was like the same day. Coming up on the year is, I will be honest, I think it's going to be very hard.
0: Our producer is Matt Collette, Jeremy Bloom is our sound designer, Jenny Lawton is our editor, and Paula Schumann is our executive producer.
1: Special thanks to Kathy Wong, Caleb Cotting, John Schober, and Monavette Cordiero.
0: You can see photos of the places and people we visited in Orlando online. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Nancy Podcast.
1: I'm Kathy Too.
0: I'm Tobin Lowe.
1: And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios.